Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about immigrant invasion disaster. James Carafano, Heritage Foundation, former Homeland Security Advisory Council and Heritage Council VP for National Security and Foreign Policy, long title, but he is worthy of that, will join me and finally filibuster under fire. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Well, you likely know, if you watch the show very often, that I am based in Dallas, Texas. And Dallas, Texas has the distinction right now of soon to become the center of, or the recipients of, the largest immigrant placement center away from the border. They're going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 3,000 minors, illegal immigrants, who cross the borders between the ages of 15 and 17, all young men, will be transported from the border up to a facility in Dallas. We have an enormous convention center here, but it is the single, uh, I mean, it is the largest uh, border, uh, the mass migrant camp established at the Dallas Convention Center. So these are all young men between the ages of 15 and 17 uh, who will be transported here. And the Department of Homeland Security has guaranteed, don't worry, they won't stay longer than 90 days, 90 days. Um, and don't worry, the DHS is going to be sure they are you know, fed and cared for and protected and hopefully the city protected uh, from them. But this disaster is not going happening just here in Dallas. There's another facility that is located just a few hours south of Dallas, something in the range of 300 people, illegal immigrants who are minors have crossed the border. And this is a, um, this, all that we're watching happen at the border is a result of current immigration policy that has been in place by our new president. I had several listeners write to me and say, please don't call him President Biden, but I I will call him, he who resides at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue has put major changes in place in immigration policy, resulting in, of course, flooding of immigrants over the border and a true disaster at the border. Such a disaster that the uh, White House or the, the Biden administration has sent down to the border members of FEMA. You know, the people who are supposed to be the emergency disaster people. And there was a great Q&A at the White House. There was a um, White House press uh, spokesperson, Pisaki, was answering questions from reporters who were saying, basically, well, if it's not a disaster at the border, why is FEMA there? And she did. I just think it's interesting to listen to her dancing around, not wanting to acknowledge that the Biden policies have created disaster at the border. But then we do need FEMA down there because we have a disaster at the border. Here I sent to Matt, the wonderful producer, the little clip of Jen Psaki answering a, a question from a reporter. Immigration, does FEMA's arrival at the border mean that the administration feels what is happening down at the border is a disaster? I know that we always get into the fun of labels around here, but I would say our focus is on solutions. And this is one of the steps that the president felt would help 
uh, a, not become a final solution, but help expedite processing, help ensure that uh, people who are coming across the border are have access to health and medical care. Clearly, the numbers are enormous. This is a big challenge, uh, and it certainly is a reflection of using every lever of the federal government to help address that. With those specifically, their mission is helping people before, during, and after disasters. We've heard you say that it's a problem, that it's a challenge. Is it now a disaster? I appreciate the opportunity. I do like your mask. Um, but I will say that um, FEMA is uh, there to help uh, ensure that the people who are at the border, who are coming across the border, uh, have access to uh, can to HHS and ORR shelters, that we can swiftly place them with vetted families. They're, they're playing a number of roles uh, there uh, to address what we feel is a significant problem and a significant challenge. And I think we haven't, uh, we haven't uh, step, been hiding about that. Okay, I have to tell you why that's so funny. FEMA requires, in order to unleash FEMA resources, people, money, it requires a declaration of a national disaster. And here we are in the Biden administration into whatever it is, you know, two months of Biden administration, and we have a disaster at the border and everyone with their eyes open can see that. So they want to send FEMA down, but a, a, you know, avoid the D word saying it's actually a disaster. One last quick point about the impact of the drastic changes in immigration policy at the border is just pure numbers. Under the Obama administration, they talked about what numbers would constitute a true, you know, a crisis at the border. The number of people crossing every day, if they reach this certain point, would actually constitute a crisis at the border. We are now here in 2021, March of 2021, the number of people crossing the border, our southern border, is six times the number that the Obama people said would constitute a crisis. There is no other good word. Crisis, disaster, both of those make sense. And I think it's important to understand, it's not just that we had changes in whether the border wall would be finished, changes in what we're going to enforce, changes in whether or not we're going to enforce the Remain in Mexico policy and other policies. We had a signal being sent to people who would love, as millions and maybe even billions in this world would like to do, people who would love to come to America. We have, we have a message sent to people who do not have a legal right to enter America, and but want to come here. And the message is, come on in, the border's open. One reason that I say that is there were news stories, I did not grab this clip, but there were news stories of people who had shown up at the border, uh, some of them carrying young children, demanding or really wanting to get enter America. And for whatever fluky reason, these people actually got turned away. And some of them made comments to reporters saying, Biden said it was okay. Biden said he was going to let us in. Which leads me to one last quick thing I'm going to ask Matt the Wonderful to show you before we turn to talking to our guest. This is a picture of people on the southern side of the border uh, waiting who want to come in. I want Matt to put that clip up. Do you see what it says in their shirts? You guys see this? Biden, please let us in. Now these are, as you can see, obviously they are mass-produced, lovely white new t-shirts with the words on them, Biden, with even his campaign symbol. That's the way he, they did the E in his name, Biden, was the way his name was in the campaign. These people are on the southern side of the border. Biden, please let us in. I don't know who produced those shirts. I don't know, you know who funded that. But the message is clear that around the world, or at least in our southern border, not just people coming from Mexico, but from Central America also, have heard the message 
that the American border is porous, it's open, come on in. And they and somebody even paid them to wear T-shirts, gave them T-shirts to send their message to America. We want to come in. As I've been saying since the time we had uh, President Biden sworn in January 20, much of what you see are things America did not vote for. This is one of them. America did not vote for this. They did not vote to have our southern border swamped, to have cities inside in the mainland, inside from the border, become housing for illegal immigrants who poured over the border, which we apparently have no ability to turn around. This is not what America voted for. We're going to talk to the next segment, a genuine, just a wonderful expert. In fact, I'll wait till the start of the next segment to introduce him. But I wanted to tell you, we have him on because I know the immigration policy has a tenderness to it. There are many people, myself included, who feel compassion and concern for people in other countries who simply are in need and very much want to come to America. America has been the most welcoming country on the planet with respect to immigration. We have legal immigration to this country in the realm of a million people a year. We have people following the legal process to get here. We have a porous border in the South where we've had challenges under the, the, well, under the Obama administration, then Trump, and now the Biden administration. We are a people who are generous and uh, kind and try to help people around the world through foreign aid, try to allow people to come here. But we, do, we cannot become a country where everyone hears the message and follows up on the message that the Biden administration seems to be sending to the world, which is, come on in, everyone can come here, no more border, no more rules apply. And that, my very fine friends, is today's First Five. I mentioned at the start of the show, we have a guest joining us. He's joined us in the past. His name is James Carafano. He's with the Heritage Foundation. And I mentioned when I introduced him that um, he, during the Trump era, I think it was uh, in the middle of 2020 or early 2020, he was appointed to the Homeland Security Advisor as Homeland Security Advisory Council. Uh, he's also with the Heritage Foundation. He's uh, a longtime and well-recognized, nationally recognized expert on the topics of immigration and national security. Um, he is an accomplished historian. He's a writer. Uh, he has uh, testified many places. Um, he's focused on focused particularly on national security um, as we. Uh, and how we secure that long term for America. Um, he's an editor of a book series, The Changing Face of War, a 25-year Army veteran with a master's and doctorate degree from Georgetown University, uh, joined Heritage in 2003 as a senior research fellow. He is a prolific writer and thinker and expert authority on immigration policy. And why I want to invite him on today is to try to spell out, we see a crisis at the southern border. What changes in policy that were put in place by the Biden administration, changes from what was there under Trump administration, have led us to this point, and what do we do about it? So without further ado, I'd like to welcome to the show, James Carafano. Hi, James. Yeah, hi. Thanks for having me back on the show. Love the show, it's great. I I'm so glad you're here. Love having you on, thank you so much. Well, you were actually the one, I think, who wrote the article that I mentioned in the first five. The number of illegal border crossings is now six times what the Obama team considered a crisis. I mean, do you want to elaborate on that at all? That, that, that's just an astonishing thing. Yeah, well, that, that's, uh, let's unpack that a bit because people need to understand the, the scope, the scale of, of what's going on here. And the department and the White House have been very, very slow to release data, even though they very closely track this data. So a lot of this information came from people who are in the department who are knowledgeable but we weren't really allowed to publicly kind of disclose the day-to-day -day numbers. So 
when Obama was president, Jay Johnson, who's the Secretary of Homeland Security, is responsible for immigration and border security, said, look, if a thousand people cross the border a day, it's a crisis. So that was their metric. Now at that time, uh, Secretary Mayorkas, who was then Deputy Secretary, he was part of the administration. Uh, Joe Biden was the Vice President. So this was really an Obama definition. We didn't make it up. So according to the folks that our folks talked to, the latest numbers, which is now like a week old, were 6,000 people a day. That's six times the number of people that the Obama administration, and these are all the same people doing this, would have considered a, a crisis. The, they have admitted that last month they had 100,000 people cross the border. That's the highest number in 20 years. I think they're on track this month for, for 200,000 people to track the border. And if we continue on this, we could see in a year or two about a 20% increase in the size of the unlawfully present population. And I know we're all fixated on the border, but it's not just the border. I mean, typically, 40% of, of the illegal population in the United States with visa overstays. And the policies that the Obama, excuse me, the Biden administration has put in place, ICE is really prohibited from contacting and detaining or deporting about 90% of the unlawfully present population. So we're going to see an increase, not just from the flow across the border, but people whose visas run out and just say, well, I'll stay because nobody's going to kick me out. So these are pretty massively significant numbers by anybody's standards. Uh, they really are, and I really thank you for that more detailed explanation. You know, I think there is a, um, during the Trump era, there was so much attention paid by the media to everything at the border, crisis at the border. Every time there was a new policy that seemed harsh in any way, the media seemed to, and not just the media, but people in the American left uh, seemed to want to focus on it and, and uh, exaggerate it and, and, and try to foment uh, anger and, and among the American people that we were somehow unkind and somehow unfair. And so I think that Biden might be able to say, well, you know, I ran on, we had to have a kinder, gentler border policy. You know, this is what, what one of my messages was. But actually what's occurring at the border is not really kind or gentle at all. I think you had a piece out about this idea about, or someone did that, I believe it was you, uh, about the number of children who are now in some kind of increased danger because of the laxity at the border. Right, so we understand that, that Trump's policies were actually far more humane yes. because they actually stopped illegal immigration. Because when you get illegal immigration, a couple of things happen. First of all, most of those people pass through the hands of coyotes or the cartels or human smugglers or human traffickers. That puts them at risk for uh, sexual exploitation, rape, murder, dying of privation in the desert, um, being extorted for money, uh, being robbed. Uh, and, and there's a massive public health risk. Well, I've seen estimates from the people crossing the border COVID positive from 10% to 50%. So having people try to cross is incredibly dangerous and there's a real humanitarian crisis. Not to mention abusing the refugee system is a, is a, a humanitarian problem because there's so many people clogging the system that the system can't actually help the, the actual people who are truly refugees and deserve refugee status. So 90, something like 90 to 99% of the refugee claims are, are not legitimate. So it's much more humane to secure the border 
than to leave it open because we're open it comes to all these humanitarian uh and and civil liberty concerns and so i've actually heard biden people say well we are facing a humanitarian crisis at the border and i don't disagree with them but it's because of their policies their policies aren't addressing humanitarian suffering they're creating humanitarian suffering Absolutely, and exacerbating it. One thing you said in your one article I meant to say when I was talking about earlier, uh, they're talking about, yeah, the range, maybe 15 to 25% at least of people who cross the border illegally are COVID positive. Here, Americans are being told, you still can't really have indoor weddings. You still really shouldn't be doing all these gatherings in people's homes, but you're gonna unleash on the American population these people who are coming over the border uh, positive. Also in your article, which is just an amazing thing, the coyotes, the people who are human trafficking, they have so many people they are assisting over the border. They've started handing out a wristband, like you get in the hospital saying, you know, you're in this wing or you're whatever your status is. They're handing out wristbands to separate out the, the people they are trying to move across the border. I mean, it is the most crazy thing. But I want to go back to your, your points about the change in Biden policy in particular. I know one thing that the Biden policy talked uh, administration talked about doing was ending the uh, it was reverting back to catch and release, which, which was uh, under President Trump, that policy was dropped, which the catch and release being you come across the border and they catch you under Obama, go, okay, you know, shouldn't have come in here, release you, and maybe you'll come back for your hearing. So where does that stand? Did the Biden people actually reinstate that? Yes. And here's the problem with that is when you don't have catch and release, if you think about it, people are going to pay the cartels anywhere from a couple of thousand dollars just by some estimates up to $50,000 to be smuggled into the United States. If you are then caught and detained and sent back to your home country, what's the message there? Why did why did our whole community put together you know, $20,000 to smuggle this person in the United States and then the money went for nothing? So it's a massive deterrent and it actually was effective. At the end of the Trump administration, the, the border was pretty much under control. Cash and release is basically, we will give you a court date to adjudicate your status. Now, what we know is that like upwards of, of you know, 90% of the people that go into that either don't show up for court or when they show up for court, if they're ordered deported, they never report to be deported. So cash and release is pretty much a wink and a nod. You just get to stay in the United States. So this is a massive, recruiting tool for illegal immigration. So at, on our website, which is heritage.org, um, I had our team put together a list of everything that the Trump administration put in place to deter illegal immigration and which things the Biden administration changed. And you can see that they changed all the key policies. And that's the reason we went from a border which was literally under control to one that's in two months is literally out of control. Uh, James, you mentioned these policies. First of all, the website that you are talking where you made that list, that's at heritage.org? Correct. Okay, on your on your page, your excerpt page? Well, it's called the Heritage Immigration Tracker. So okay. easy to find. Just Google Her Heritage Immigration Tracker, come right up. Heritage Immigration Tracker, I love that. Another policy that Trump put in place that uh, I thought made so much sense was criticized by the left. It went by the acronym RIM, Remain in Mexico, but the basic right. idea, which is related to catch and release, but saying you, you have to stay there while we adjudicate your asylum application. Isn't that essentially it? And the Biden people said, never mind, come on in. 
Right. So the reason reason for that is there is massive refugee fraud. And because you pay, basically somebody would walk up to the border in Obama and they said, well, I have credible fear. And they would just let them in. And again, give them a court date. It didn't matter because they just never show up. Or, or even if they were ordered deported, they would never leave. So what the, the Trump administration said is, is, you have to remain in Mexico and we will look at your application and we will process you know, people deserving of amnesty. Um, that was a really effective process because like 90% of the people just went home. Because they knew they weren't really refugees, they were just they were they were here looking for jobs. And when they found out they just couldn't get in with a claim of being a refugee, they just left. Um, so it was a very effective deterrent. The first thing the Biden team did was say, "No, no, no, we're gonna you just walk up to the border and say I'm a refugee. We will let you in, and and then we'll figure it out later." The pictures of those people streaming across the border that really triggered this entire flood, which is again it's picking up steam. There's like more and more people coming in all the time. Okay. And I want to turn to, there's um, a lot of analysis or a lot of defense of President Biden um, saying essentially, in fact, Nancy Pelosi said on some news show over this past weekend that, yeah, there's a problem at the border, but we really inherited such a mess from the Trump administration. We're having to straighten it out now. And I know you've more or less touched on that, but I'd love to get you to respond to Nancy, Nancy Pelosi saying the reason the crisis at the border today is because the Biden team inherited a mess from the Trump team's policies. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the mess is, is before the border was secure. And look, I look, first of all, you cannot convince me that they didn't know exactly what they were doing. The Secretary of Homeland Security was asked, well, did you anticipate this rush at the border? And he goes, well, I really didn't know what to anticipate. Look, that's fatuous. I mean, the guy, they were, these people were all in the Obama administration. They knew exactly what their policies were going to do. What surprised them was how many people showed up how quickly. If you look at all the resources that the Obama administration is throwing at the border, it's not to secure the border. They're sending people there so they can process people more quickly and bring bring more of them into the United States faster. So it's very clear that that the, the only crisis for them is the the the, the, the Trump people was in, were impeding illegal immigration. Uh, other than that, I mean, there's, there's there's no way you can blame Trump for this unless you just think illegal immigration is normal and you were foolish to try to stop it. Oh yeah. It's the craziest thing. You also, you know, and I want to talk about, you were making allusions to how could, and it's very true, no one who pays any attention, no one sentient paying attention to policy could possibly think that you, if you sent the message, we're going to relax border policy enforcement, we're not going to complete the wall, we're going to reinstate catch and release, we're not going to force you to stay in Mexico. No one could think that that would mean that, that you know everything would just continue on its present pace. You would have to know all those policies put together are just an open invitation to people who want to enter America illegally to encourage them to do that. So I, I'm assuming everything you said, you agree with that. But what do you think, I mean, what is your sense? Of what is the plan? What would the president's plan be? Even given the numbers are bigger than they anticipated, what do you think is behind this kind of policy that the Obama team, I mean, excuse me, the Biden team has put in place? Well, I mean, these are open border policies. There's just no other way to, to put it otherwise. I think the administration would just not want people not to focus on how many people are coming across. Um, they have a bill, HR1, which is a, you know, purported to be an election reform bill, but it actually removes a lot of the safeguards against non-resident citizens from voting. So 
I think they assumed that a lot more people would just vote. And then they also have at least three amnesty bills out there, which would effectively give everybody that's illegally in the United States amnesty and put them on a path to citizenship uh, and, and legally give them a right to vote. So um, it's a very open-ended policy. What it doesn't address is, doesn't address the public health concerns. What do you do with all the people that come in COVID positive? That's a, just a bigger burden on the system. Doesn't address the public safety issues. Uh, doesn't address why are you enriching the cartels? Which, by the way, take all those profits. They just go back to China. They buy the precursors to make fentanyl. They come back here. They ship opioids to poison our communities. We have people dying from opioid overdose at record numbers. They don't address the enormous burdens on the taxpayer and on communities who have to provide social services and education um, um, and you know, um, emergency room care and public health care. So they don't address any of these things. Uh, and, and they're just creating, I mean, these are not policies that are good for 330 million Americans. They're just not. Yeah, that, that was a great summary. That's one of the questions I was going to get to, but you said it so well. You know, the, if you actually have as your mission to protect the American people, but also show compassion to our legal immigrants or people who want to come here, you wouldn't just have a free for all at the open at the border because it is a public health crisis. All the litany of problems you just described is created for the American people. It seems like what this really is, both the opening of the border, the intention through various bills pending to change, uh, to, to put them on a fast track to citizenship, to get them to where they can vote. As you point out, HR1 is going to let them vote even if they're not legal. But if you get here and you become legal, it is really a complete undoing of the formal immigration law in this country without calling it redoing immigration law, which is really what is needed. The immigration statute, if you want to change it, change it honestly. It's like a dishonest backhanded way to change it. Do you agree? No, if you want to have more immigrants, have, have more legal immigrants. There's nothing under the law that stops you from, from doing that. This is essentially trying to implement the most radical, progressive, leftist, open borders agenda that you could possibly imagine. And, and it goes against you know, even what the president said he was going to do, which is kind of be the president for all Americans. Nobody voted for this. If you look at, at issues that people voted on, there was not great angst about America's immigration and border policies. I think most people were generally happy with that on the right and the left. Um, people want to be compassionate, want to be a nation of immigrants. You know what? We can do all that within the existing rule of law. Essentially what you have here is a president who's, one, ignored the laws that are on the books, and two, he's taken the agency, which is primarily responsible for securing the border uh, and enforcing immigration law, and he's basically turned him into uh, an organization that's responsible for bringing in as many illegal aliens as quickly as possible. Couldn't have said it better myself. I'm assuming that Heritage Foundation probably has some proposals in place for what you think what are, is needed uh, with respect to immigration law in America, not just obviously not supporting the changes currently made uh, by the Biden team to the border policy, but more broadly, immigration reform. Should it be needed? I assume Heritage has some plans and ideas in place that you would suggest to the public and they could read them on your website? Well, yeah, actually, and, and a lot of it, I mean, the last administration had, had put in into text and they, you know, if they had been reelected, they would have put forward, which is moving to a, a modernized merit-based immigration system, similar to what many other countries have, including Canada and Australia. Uh, we've also put out a, 
uh, a very extensive list of what state and local governments can do to assist in the enforcement of immigration laws and border security in their community. So there's, there's a ton of material at the website and, and there it is. Okay, and again, that website, because I love sending people to your website, is it's full of facts. So it's heritage.org. So if you just Google Heritage, Heritage Foundation um, Immigration Policy. Yep, absolutely. Go right there. Okay. Or any or any other search engine. I'm not advocating for them. Got it. <laughs> Duck, duck, go. Okay. James Carafano, thank you so much. For, I'm so glad you're available today because every time I, I talk with you, first of all, I love, I read what you write before we talk and I'm so grateful for your thinking and your clear writing and your advocacy. So, so glad you're available today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Okay, folks, that, I tell you, I, sh I really encourage you to read his stuff. I mean, this is part of what he wrote, and this is a, there's a link to an, our website, which is americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage under shows, drop-down list of links. One of the things that he has out is a, is a uh, he's wrote, is something called, it, it was a summary of an interview with him, uh, Wolf and Carafano, Biden border crisis, incompetence, or part of a president's plan. And the Heritage Foundation is, as you likely know, a C3. They're bipartisan or nonpartisan. Um, and so I want to just kind of round off or wrap up that interview by saying this. What you are watching at the southern border is intentional. It is not the case that the people who put these policies in place dropped all the border security provisions that were working very well under the four years of the Trump administration it is not the case that the Biden team changed all of those out of compassion, concern for immigrants, wanting to welcome more people who need our help. This is a flat out abandonment of the America's southern border. It is an open border policy. And when you abandon the southern border, what you are doing is abandoning sovereignty. You are agreeing that America should not be a country that has borders like every other country on the planet Earth. You're not a country unless you have borders. And that's what a country's government is sovereign over, the land inside those borders. When you don't enforce those borders, you're saying, I don't really care if America is a sovereign nation. I will abandon that. And so that's number one. Point number two is the number of people, while it is, may be true that there are even more people than the Biden team anticipated crossing the border, you still, no one in their right mind is thinking, oh, we'll open the border, we'll drop construction of the border wall, we'll, we'll reinstate cash and release, we won't, won't make you stay in Mexico, come on in. You, you have people in t-shirts showing up, printed t-shirts, hey, Biden, let me in. No one who did that is standing up for the idea of a lawful and legal immigration system. They're intentionally encouraging the massive growth of America's illegal alien population inside our country with the goal, or at least the clear, obvious intent to allow them to either vote illegally, which is what will happen if HR1 passes. If HR1 passes, all these people will be able to vote because no one will be allowed to check to see if you're a citizen or if you have a picture ID. And on top of that, these people who will vote anyway under H.R. 1, when they do become citizens, will also overwhelm our election system. The numbers that are being projected based on the border crossings today 
It truly is the case. They will overwhelm in many of the states, overwhelm the voting system. They will greatly increase the number of voters and you will no longer have Americans who understand the idea of America, who came to our country legally, who have legal status to be here. They won't be able to get back control of their country. This is an intentional destruction of America policy. It is nothing less. It's the intentional destruction of America, the sovereign, America, the free. It's it's the destruction of the concept of lawful immigration, a destruction of the concept of citizenship. This is what they're doing at the southern border. So you can go to the Heritage website, as you heard James Carafano mention a moment ago. They have listings telling you not just what policies they think should happen in Washington and which policies that Biden embraced and, and which policies of Trump that he dropped, but they also list what you can do in your state and local governments, especially if you're in a border state like I am in Texas. It's important to let your local officials know. Right here in Dallas, we, citizens of the city of Dallas, we are letting our city government know we are not okay with you having 3,000 illegal immigrants, all male, between the ages of 15 and 17, housed together in a big convention center. You've got to know they're going to be left-wing open border advocates showing up at that place, complaining about conditions, complaining about them being caged and trapped, what other dumb words they use. You're going to end up with the leftist mentality or mindset telling America we're cruel to keep these people inside this convention center. And maybe you, I think you may have caught uh, Jen Psaki, who is uh, the Biden White House spokesman, spokesperson, she said, well, we're waiting to parse them out to vetted families, which if you go down that rabbit hole, barely vetted at all. We are watching the intentional destruction of America, nothing less. It's important to understand this. No one, okay, maybe 10% of the people who voted for Biden actually hoped that we would have an open border overrun with illegal aliens. And as as James Carafano points out, overrun with people who are coyotes, traffickers, bringing other people in, getting paid to bring them in, taking that money, sending it back to China where more fentanyl is produced and brought back to America and pushed over our border. There is nothing good about this abandonment of our national border at the southern border. Nothing that helps the American people. Nothing that helps the American people with health, with our health resources, with our education resources. Nothing good about it. And the fact is, my friends, the Biden administration knows this. To any extent, Joe Biden understands anything Who knows? But Joe Biden understands this. Kamala Harris relishes this idea. Leftists relish this idea of overwhelming the good and noble American citizens who believe in the idea of America, believe in the ideas of America as founded on rooted in freedom and free markets. All of those lovely, precious ideas upon which America was founded, the population in America who loves those ideas drive the left wing in this country crazy because it is the the, the heartland Americans, the people who believe in the Declaration, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights and individual freedom, those people will sustain America. And those people are the ones the Democrats are trying to literally outnumber by allowing the southern border to get flooded with people who have no idea, who've never learned the greatness and uniqueness of America. The left wing intention in this radical border abandonment is ultimately to silence and shut down 
the freedom of the American people, the idea of America, the people in America who want to vote for continued free elections and free markets and individual liberty, all the things that drive the left nuts. The left is enabling its own takeover of America. It's fomenting it. It is adding bodies to support it by abandoning the southern border. This is nothing less than part of the radical Marxist destruction of America. And every Democrat in Washington understands that, and nobody's standing up against it. One last quick story for today. Um, I want to uh, just briefly touch on something you may have been reading a tiny bit about the filibuster. I want to just mention something in case that, that filibuster, sometimes the, the term filibuster can be confusing or people are not sure what it all means. The filibuster, to start with, all that remains of the filibuster tradition in the United States Senate is that the filibuster can still be used for the minority party to block the agenda of the majority party because the filibuster can be used to prevent a vote to come to the floor on issues that matter. The filibuster can be used so that the party, like right now, how we are in Washington, you likely know the Senate is 50-50, 50 Democrats, 50 Republicans. We have numerous very wobbly, very Republican, you know, just barely Republicans. And you could probably name them if you listen to the show very often. And we have some Democrats who said, you know, that they aren't on board entirely with the leftist takeover of America, to in particular in the United States Senate. And so right now, the, the, the filibuster used to be used for the uh, confirmation process for judges for the federal courts. And so when a president would nominate a judge, you know, goes to the Senate, this, the uh, Constitution requires the advice and consent of the Senate. And the filibuster rule was there to say, essentially, it was there to prevent the a slim, a party that has a slim majority from just ramming through every single judge it wanted, ramming through what they wanted, because you could exercise the filibuster, which is basically used to mean you actually had to stand up and talk. You could filibuster a bill by standing up to talk, refusing to yield your time, and just talking and talking and talking and talking until finally the, the other side says, uncle, uncle, okay, fine, you know, let, let's negotiate. The filibuster is designed to force negotiation between the two parties. That's the point of it. And so the filibuster used to be there so that it used to be used in, in uh, issues where they were appointing judges to the federal bench. And when Republicans would threaten, and so sometimes the filibuster, or now the filibuster is rarely used in terms of someone actually being forced to stand there and like read the phone book or something. It's just a tally of votes. And so the minority party can say, hey, you know, we have enough to do a filibuster. So they don't have to do the filibuster. They just have to say we could do it. And this forces the parties to negotiate with respect to judicial nominations. It forces the parties to talk again. And maybe a nomination gets pulled and somebody else is nominated. So we used to have that. And in the Senate, the, um, when Obama, President Obama was president and he made nominations to the federal courts, the federal trial courts called district courts, the federal appellate courts called the circuit courts of appeal, when those people were nominated, there would be sometimes a threat of a filibuster. And the Democrats so wanting to have Obama's people put on the courts without having to listen to anything that the Democrat that the Republicans thought. The Democrats in the Senate wanted Obama's judges. They did not want to have to listen to Republicans. So they, Democrats, said, you know what? We're done with the filibuster rule as to federal district court and federal appellate court. 
And so essentially, the Republicans, or they were the minority party at that time, they lost their ability to have any say, any participation in the judicial nominations because they couldn't filibuster and the Democrats had a slim majority. So then we got around to where the Republicans were in charge and they decided they extended that, uh, that um, disabusing or dissolving of the power of filibuster as to Supreme Court justices. And so that was the next step, filibuster is gone. And again, the filibuster was there to make a difference between how the Senate functions and how the House functions. The U.S. House is supposed to be, you know, the people's house. Their members are only there for every two years. So they're closer to the people. They're more responsive to the people. And they have that they're supposed to have the more, you know, the more, um, I don't want to say raucous, but, but the more uh, lively engaged debates over bills are supposed to have a little bit more of the kind of a, you know, direct representation feel. The Senate is supposed to be the upper body. You, know, the, you get a six-year term up there. It's supposed to be the more even keeled. You know, we don't have these kind of wild hearings that they have in the House. That was the idea of filibuster. The idea was to force uh, the two parties to negotiate because a party that was in the minority still had the power through the filibuster to stop some effort by the majority party because they could threaten the filibuster and therefore let the two parties force to meet. And that's a little bit of history lesson and no extra charge here, but turning where we are now. So the filibuster is gone as to all federal court judges, you know, including Supreme Court justices. But the filibuster still exists in the Senate to prevent legislation from passing. Meaning, it's still a rule in the Senate that you can say, you know what, uh, I know the Democrats have a slight majority and the Republicans have, a, you know, and actually, as, as I said, it's 50-50, but the tiebreaker in the Senate, because it's an even number, 50-50, the tiebreaker is uh, the president of the Senate, who is also always the vice president of the country. So at this time, president of the Senate is Kamala Harris. So here we sit in the Senate, we still have the legislative filibuster, and I got all the introduction around to make clear how much it matters. The legislative filibuster is the only rule, only power remaining in this country to protect the American people from the absolute tyranny of the Marxist takeover of our country. It's the only thing left. It is what the Republican senators can do when the left in this country brings their wild, freedom-crushing, government-control-expanding, Marxist-enabling, freedom-ending legislation on issue after issue after issue after issue. This is where, this, this is where the very tiny little power that conservatives have in our country is that in the Senate, you still could have the Republicans count heads and say, you know what, to the Democrats, uh, we have enough to filibuster. So and to overcome the filibuster, you have to get to 60 votes, 6-0, to shut down the person who's filibustering. That's the whole idea. So right now, the Democrats are threatening that they are going to end the legislative filibuster. They're going to say that one and only remaining protection for the conservatives in this country that you can possibly stop the left-wing radical agenda is the legislative filibuster in the Senate. That is the debate we're having right now. The Democrats are now talking about the idea that they want to do that. They want to say, you know what? We want to get our agenda done. We want radical Green New Deal. We want HR1. We're going to take over every last bit of the election process in America, in every state, everywhere. 
We want to have, an, in addition to those things, we want to do radical gun grabbing, gun control legislation. They have an agenda. They want to shut down the ability of states. They want to end the right in 17 states for people to make a decision whether they want to join a union or not. There are right to work states. There's legislation pending in Congress saying, you know, no more right to work. It's basically everybody's forced into a union. And by the way, I wrote about this in my book, but the idea of unions is written into the constitutions of communist countries. The whole notion of putting all the workers together and they're in a union. This is how communists think. This is how socialists think. And the idea of the individual having the right to freely decide whether he or she wants to be in a union, the right to work concept, a conservative concept, a Republican concept, a freedom concept. Another idea that the Democrats have in mind in Washington. We are watching the major left-wing agenda in this country coming at us full bore. So what's happened in the Senate, the Democrats are now saying, you know, we may go for this ending the legislative filibuster. So Senator Mitch McConnell, hardly ever known for his bravery or standing up, but he gave a firebomb speech on the floor of the Senate. And um, he's, <laughs> yeah, he used language. I want to grab his language. He used language, which is kind of funny. He, he actually used the scorched earth language. He basically said in the Senate, um, he said, let, us, let, it, let me say this very clearly for all 99 of my colleagues. This is uh, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, Republican, barely Republican. Let me say this very clearly for all 99 of my colleagues. Nobody serving in this chamber can even begin, can even begin to imagine what a completely scorched earth Senate would look like. And he's talking about the power of the Senate, the power of this, of even the minority, to withdraw a standing rule that is essentially called unanimous consent. The underlying rule in the Senate that allows, as he said, the lights to be turned on. To have any bill hit the floor requires the rule, the exercising of the unanimous consent rule. Meaning, He's saying to the Democrats, you want to play games with this? You know, we're going to remove the legislative filibuster. You know, we on our side, we will bring this entire Senate to a halt. And right now, by the way, there are bills piling up at the door of the Senate. The House, slim majority as the Democrats have, have managed to pass a lot of odious things. They're, they're stuck at the door of the Senate. And so what the Senate, what the Senate, the issue facing them is, the Democrats are thinking, Mitch McConnell, you wouldn't dare bring the entire Senate to a halt by exercising this unanimous consent power. You wouldn't dare say, we're not even going to allow a, you know, a bill to come to the floor to rename a, a highway. Nothing is coming to the floor. And that's what Mitch McConnell is saying. I'll go scorch earth. McConnell is saying to the Democrats, don't even think about the idea that you are going to force every radical, crazy Marxist idea you have through the Senate because you can. 
because you can get rid of filibuster. So it's a real, I mean, both sides are kind of looking at each other. Are they, will they really dare do this? And both sides are looking at the American people saying, what will the American people tolerate? What do they want us to do? I mean, I mean, the Democrats actually think that McConnell will be afraid to do this, that he'll chicken out. Now, I will tell you, many people who follow the Senate and the GOP and Mitch McConnell also think that Mitch McConnell himself won't dare do it. They actually think he's already kind of signed on, recognizing, throwing in the towel, has said, you know what? It's going to happen. We're going to let them have their legislative filibuster. Uh, they're going to, we'll let the Democrats end the legislative filibuster, and we'll just let the whole thing go wild. We'll let the whole Marxist agenda march its way through the House and the Senate and to the Biden White House, and and then you know the the thinking goes goes, you know, that maybe McConnell will be thinking, okay, let him have it, and in two years we'll get him. Well, people, if that happens in two years, we won't have fair elections ever again. We won't have any elections that matter. We won't have a country we recognize. We won't, we'll have people eligible to vote who just wandered over the border yesterday, who got themselves covered by some provision to legally vote, or they can illegally vote anyway because no one's allowed to enforce voter ID. This is a crucial time in the Senate. I don't trust Mitch McConnell as far as I can throw him. Do not trust. I think he did do a good job for President Trump getting judges confirmed, which I will grant him that he did. Beyond that, he, I, he has never been a reliable conservative. He's always looking out for himself and for China and his wife's family's businesses. I don't trust him at all. But it's a huge issue in the Senate. Should the Democrats say, yeah, we are going to actually go after and end the legislative filibuster and we're going to pass everything with 50 Democrats plus one Kamala Harris and then and or are the Republicans going to say you try that and we're going to shut the whole thing down? I vote for shut the whole thing down. If they even think of trying this this legislative filibuster, we can't we can't afford the two years of the tyrannical things the, the Democrats will put through the Senate if we let this happen. But that's where we stand in the Senate right now. Huge, huge issue. Huge issue of bravery on the part of both sides. In fact, there were two Democrat senators, Manchin, I always forget if he's Virginia or West Virginia, but Manchin uh, and Cinema from Arizona, Democrat senators have both said when they started out, they would, at this term right now, they said they would not support ending the legislative filibuster. So right now there's enormous pressure on the two of them. Pressure from the Democrat media mob, the left, the leaders of the Senate, pressure on all, on those two saying, you know what? Everybody else is in line. Get in line. Grab the power while we can. Do everything to America while we can. Because, you know, in two years, things could change. Well, I can tell you, people, in two years, if this happens and the entire Democrat agenda, including H.R. 1, goes through, I don't know, and I don't mean this in a threatening way, I do not know if America honestly can survive the next two years. I can't, we, freedom will not survive. Our rights will not survive. Liberty will not survive. The Bill of Rights will not survive. I don't know if America as a unified country can even survive if the Democrats pull this idea in their Senate of, of eliminating legislative filibuster and then let all the legislation through they want because heaven knows their agenda is the most America-destroying, anti-American, Marxist, evil, tyrannical agenda ever to have, have been embraced by a political party in Washington, D.C. I close the show every day by telling you why the stories I talked about today matter to you. 
So we start our show this morning. Today seems like hours ago, it's just a little while ago. So our show this morning, immigrant invasion disaster. Illegal immigrant children are not supposed to be detained more than a few days. So HHS is ordering them relocated to various border state locations. 3,000 plus illegal immigrant young men, ages 15 to 17, slated for the Dallas Convention Center for up to 90 days. As I say, what could go wrong? The volume of illegal immigrants at the border is reportedly six times what the Obama administration said would be a crisis. The Biden administration is asking for FEMA assistance, but won't issue the disaster proclamation. They hate to, would hate to have to admit that it was a disaster, is a disaster. Americans must wake up. None of this is coincidental or happenstance. This is, intent, this is the intended result of deliberate leftist policy. South of the border, people have t-shirts printed with Biden, please let us in. This is part of the plan to overwhelm the system to destroy America. Americans did not vote for this. Nobody wants southern border overrun except those who are pushing lawlessness and chaos and who will use it to their political advantage in the future to win elections for the rest of time. And we talked about also the filibuster under fire. Filibuster rule imposes the de facto 60 vote requirement for Senate bill passage. The rule is a symbolic yeah, this I didn't even use, tell you about this symbolism, but it's the saucer to cool the boiling teacup from the house. That's an analogy been used quite often. It's supposed to be, you know, allowing more measured and thoughtful assessment of bi bills and issues. Democrats threatened to end, threatening to end it and use the 50 Democrat senators plus VP Harris to pass everything. Democrat Senator Cinema and Manchin are not yet sold, but wobbly and being lobbied and pressured. McConnell delivered a Senate floor speech warning of a scorched earth tactics by the GOP, including ending unanimous consent, which would block everything if the filibuster ends. Many believe McConnell is bluffing. He's already signed off and he'll soon retire. Democrats two Senate victories in Georgia, which gave them the 50 senators were clearly helped by now exposed Washington Post lie about the Trump phone call to Georgia's Secretary of State. See how the dots connect? Washington Post lies about what Trump said to the Georgia Secretary of State call. That's in the papers. The two Democrats win, you know, allegedly to punish the Republicans. And then the Washington Post says, hey, by the way, sorry about that. We lied. Democrats are pushing for complete control of Washington and America, ramming through their entire radical leftist agenda. This is hard to see how America and freedom survive. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk. Whatever way you're listening to this show, please go to my website, americacanwetalk.org. There are two things and soon to be three things I ask you to do there. One, subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You hit the subscribe button and it instantly sends an email to you thanking you. It adds you to our email list. We have a once a week email. It comes out on Friday or sometimes Saturday. And it is a summary of the previous week's shows. It's links to what we talked about, links to interviews. And it's a great way for you to catch up on the weekend if you missed the show and a great way to share this show with your friends. Feel free to forward that email. Number two on our website, please feel free to donate. The show is entirely listener supported. I don't get paid at all. This is pure passion and love for America you're seeing right here. I don't get paid. 
I do need to continue to be able to pay for the cost of this show, many, many ways in which it, it, it's not free to put on a show like this. So if you can, and you're so inclined, I'd appreciate your support. You can make a one-time donation. You hit the donate button on the homepage of americacanwetalk.org. You make a one-time donation, make a recurring donation, would love it. And third, and this is most important and most exciting, starting next week, I believe we'll have our membership page up and running. We're starting a new thing. It will actually begin in April. But we're starting a new thing, which is a membership for America Can We Talk. We're building the America Can We Talk family. That membership, what that means is starting in April, every week i'll still do the show monday through thursday at 3 p.m central time but the thursday show will be for members only it'll be in a different studio and mainly it'll be a far different format it's a q a it's a back and forth between me and you it's a back and forth for us to talk to each other for you to send in questions or a variety of way you can send in questions there'll be a small studio audience in studio that they can put questions down there'll be, it's a conversation about preserving this country. It's a chance, I do get many emails asking me questions and I try to answer some of them. I can't answer all of them, but I do encourage you to consider membership. It is, it, it'll be set up on our website by next week. It is $5 a month or $50 a year and it gets you every Thursday show. It's a conversation between us. It's a way for me to continue to refuse to have advertisers, to refuse to have the interruption of advertisers, to just be a conversation between us, the very important American political conversation about preserving America, the most important experiment in human liberty ever to bless this earth. Thank you for listening to America Can We Talk. I love doing this show. I love talking with you about America, the precious, the extraordinary, the great. I do this show because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America? Can you